we asked Bruce to explain what Shenzi terms mean. Cap and no cap. I don't, I don't understand what that is. I work with a cap every day, uh, as a salary cap. Girl, girl boss, girl boss. I don't know what it means, but I like it. Girl boss, uh, me, what that means to me is my wife. Okay. Okay, drip. Yeah. Got me on that one. Live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, I'm sure you were very glad to see somebody from your generation there to start the show. Bruce Arena teaching us all the latest terms. You were talking about the social media uh, community manager who was giving him the clipboard, right? Yes, good opportunity to remind everybody that you are well into your 40s and I'm still happily in my 30s here on Football America. Lots sure. to get to on this edition of the show. We got Mauricio Pedrosa who's about to join us to discuss the proposed changes for Mexican soccer. They're talking about big picture changes. We'll get into it, see if it's really going to make a difference. Mark Ogden going to stop by as well, talk some Premier League transfers from guys from CONCACAF. Plus the Seattle Sounders are in the Club World Cup. We'll talk about that. And the U.S. women's national team has dropped its She Believes roster. But let's start, Herc, with some transfer deadline drama. The case of Julian Araujo. According to reports, Barcelona and the L.A. Galaxy had agreed on a deal for the 21-year-old. But the $4 million transfer is now on hold, pending approval from both the Spanish Football Federation and FIFA. Because the paperwork to sign the Mexico International missed Tuesday's deadline. Araujo trained on the side of the Galaxy today. Here's his coach, Greg Vanny, with the latest. It's not our league, it's on their side. It was, they have to input the, all the stuff on, on their side and to get the final process done, to get the final approvals. So uh, they had everything from us and it just went down and there was a computer issue in the process of trying to, to do it. So I think it ended up like 18 seconds late. Uh, so. I actually went through this once uh, in Toronto when we had a player whose whose process ended just on the other side of the window, but there was legitimate computer issue which they were able to identify and they recognized that and the whole process still went through. So um, we have optimism for sure for Jules and and uh, for the whole thing to get done, but we don't know until an actual review has been done. All right, Herc, the latest reports are that we'll get a decision on Friday. Friday now. Why isn't this a done deal? Who you blaming? Who's at fault? You know, it's, it's funny because I'm sure people would love to jump at the narrative that somehow this is Major League Soccer's fault. Single entity. Why is Major League Soccer approving this deal? Which would be valid if that was the case, if they were the holdup, right? But the Barcelona executives have already mentioned computer air. So I don't know where to fall on this. Trust me, mm -hmm. I'm all for putting blame on Major League Soccer when they need blame to be put on them. But I don't think it's that cut and dry. I don't think you can specifically put blame on this. Was mm -hmm. it a time issue with the LA Galaxy? Was it a time issue with Julian's camp? Was it a time issue with Major League Soccer in the process <clears throat> of reviewing this? Or was it on Barcelona? We don't know. All we know is computer error. That is what we're hearing. That is what we know. Something else I know. This is Gut-wrenching. Gut-wrenching for mm. Julian Araujo. Gut-wrenching for all parties involved. I'm talking about the Galaxy. I'm talking about Major League Soccer. I'm talking about Barcelona. Whether that's Barcelona A or B, 
Rafa Marquez, who's at Barcelona, bet everybody Ooh. involved. This is gut-wrenching. That's what I know. So when it comes down to the transfer deadline, there's one guy to follow, right? We all know Fabrizio Romano. And as he's tweeting this, one of the things he's saying is that the last step is Major League Soccer. So I think that's where you're getting that from, right? Is that there's kind of this idea out there that, oh, there's an extra step. It's not just the player and the club. Like in most situations, the league has some extra step of approval. But let's be honest, man. MLS is not going to be the ones to botch this. Not when they're willing, by the way, to sell this player for $4 million. Right. That would seem to me to be very little. They want to make this deal happen. And if there's a club, Herc, with a history of, let's say, bureaucratic issues, right, it would be Barcelona. You would buy into the fact that Barcelona simply left this too late if we, if we believe the sporting di director, uh, Matteo Alemani, he said it was 18 seconds because of, a, what did he say, a system issue? Did he really say computer, computer issue? Yes, he, he left it very open. He left it, he said, error informatico. That, that could be anything, right? Yeah. That could be anything. And, and, and Seb, this isn't the first time we've seen something mm -hmm. like this happen. We saw this same transfer window. Hakim Ziyech from mm -hmm. Chelsea to PSG, that didn't happen. What, years ago, when the, one of the biggest injustices to Keylor Navas was happening. There was a Keylor Navas to Manchester United, and the facts didn't go through on time. Remember that famous De Gea fax situation? So this isn't the first time. But you're right. People would love to jump at Major League Soccer. And listen, we're all for being the hammer when they deserve it. Okay, yeah. we're all for it. When, they need, when they're the nail and we need to be the hammer, we're all for it. But this isn't as cut and dry as single entity, bad. This was the reason. Right, no. Not that uh, it's good. I... I'm just saying. <laughs> right, right, no, surely... So uh, Julian Araujo to Barcelona still up in the air. Again, we should have a decision by Friday. Now, we had a chance to speak with Julian at MLS Media Day a couple weeks ago. And obviously, the subject of a potential transfer came up. So let's listen into that conversation, and then we'll react, Herc, on the back end. So you mentioned 2026. Uh, when you look at Mexico's team, like if there's one area that's got some depth, it is right back. Yeah. Right, you got all of a sudden, right? Right, you got Jorge Sanchez, you got Kevin Alvarez. What do you do to break through? Like that, those that's really tough competition, right? Yeah, for sure. Very good players, both very good players. You know, they're you know, we're it's all a competition, obviously. And you know, I, I just got to focus on myself, I got to improve on the things that I'm not so good at. Um, are there some things that you have in your mind that that you're kind of concentrated on for that level? What is that stuff? More just like uh, defensive positioning, uh, you know, cro my crossing, I want it to be on point every time, not no sloppy crosses, obviously. I want to be able to put myself in position to, to give more assists, to help out my team, and, and yeah, and obviously I'm, I'm a defender and I, I, don't want, I, don't want, I don't want to concede goals, so I need to be strong defensively, and that's my goal. Jorge Sanchez at Ajax, Kevin Alvarez is heavily rumored to go to Europe. Do you need to be in Europe to compete for that starting right back position? I definitely think I need to go to Europe uh, to reach my highest potential and you know the, the sky's the limit so my goal and my dream is to go to Europe. Um, you know I'm at the Galaxy until I have contract until 2025 so uh, whatever plays out in God's time I think uh, everything will, will play out. How in it's your mind to be. perfect time when you go to Europe would be when? Uh, sometime this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Really? You know, he told us Leverkusen last time when I said, do you have a specific football in mind? I didn't want him to get that specific. He actually named the team. I know he did. <laughs> I know he did, and we definitely took note of it. Yeah. I'm just curious if your mindset has changed with said team or said style. Uh, no, I think they, they kind of have a very good style. You know, Bundesliga overall, their, their style is kind of my style. I like to... 
I'm very my physical attributes to get up and down the field. Um, you know, to to get in behind, to to defend as well. Uh, you know, it's an up and up back and forth game, and I think that's kind of how I play. Um, but yeah, not really. I'm I'm kind of focused on you know whatever comes next comes next. Yeah. Where where has the most interest in you come from? Would you say like what what part of Europe? Uh, Bundesliga, La Liga. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so there's two totally different well, hold footballs. Hold on. Fabrizio Romano, who, who does the transfer yeah, news, yeah. actually, you were in the Barca's orbit. Like, one, what can you tell us about that? And two, how did you take the news? Yeah, it was crazy. You know, it was like the last day of, um, I think, the closing window. Um, but, yeah, you know, to be linked with, you know, the best football club in the world, one of the best, um, it's you know, being so young, I'm 20. I think I was 20, but um, yeah, it was crazy. It's crazy news. Obviously, it's something to be a part of. It's something good to be a part of to be be named with such a high high team. Obviously, you know, I just keep my feet on the ground. You know, keep my head head down, and I want to um, I want to continue to improve. Obviously, uh, things that I can't handle uh, that went through, but I'm 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 good. I'm I'm focused on on the team, and I'm and I'm happy to to be with the Galaxy. All right, Herc, thoughts on the interview? And do you think Julian Araujo eventually ends up at Barcelona? Thoughts on the interview? He's, he's very well put together. He knows exactly what he wants. Uh, I think he's got a, a good eye for how to get there, what he needs to work on. Um, that's always good to hear. He's very self-aware in that sense. Mm -hmm. Do I think he gets to Barcelona? Listen, I know what I see today. I saw today that this was the second time that Barcelona has gone after this kid, mm -hmm. okay? Late. One, the first go-around last transfer window, and now this go-around. That's twice that they've looked for you. I know that he wants this move bad. I know that whether if it was a Barca B contract with the ability to play with the first team, I know that they've used Barcelona being they. They've used center backs and defensive midfielders in that position to suffice Xavi's needs. So maybe he would have had a place. These are things I know today. Here's what I don't know tomorrow, Seb, and would worry me. Mm -hmm. I don't know the necessity of Barcelona tomorrow. Maybe right. somebody <clears throat> comes in, Sergio Des is supposed to come back, or somebody else, and makes that position their own. Maybe Julian Araujo, if he doesn't go, this window mm -hmm. has a blinder of a first half of the season, and that price goes up. And it's now a higher price than Barcelona are willing to spend. Or maybe Major League Soccer wants to put that higher price up. Is that a bad up. thing? I mean, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Well, you just mentioned earlier that one of the good things for Major League Soccer was making that price $4 million inaccessible. So what I'm telling you is lower price accessibility could be a factor in here because it isn't a Barca A contract that we know. If it was a Barca B with the ability to go. And I know that Rafa Marquez wanted him. Will mm. he be there later? Mm. We don't know. So there's a lot of factors today that we know. Tomorrow is what worries me. That's right. Rafa Marquez linked to the, the Mexican job. Maybe not the head job, but a job with the Mexican Federation. So you never know what his future is. Uh, look, man, I, I think this deal will get done. I, think, I hope it'll done, get, get done this Friday. But as you point out, there's been plenty of interest here. It seems clear that Xavi or Barcelona see a value in this player. LA Galaxy are clearly ready to sell. Everybody wants this to happen. Uh, and even if it doesn't happen, Herc, uh, I got to think it'll happen at some point in the future unless something better comes along. Like you say, he, he plays his way out. The one thing that would worry me here, the one thing that would worry me here as a DC United guy, you know I got to bring it up, is Lucho Acosta. Because there was a time when there was a player who was going to make a big move to PSG. He was over in Paris, ready to sign the deal. The deal fell apart. 
He came back, and not only was he never the same player for DC United, right? And, and that opportunity for him closed. That, that European window closed. He ended up at Atlas in Liga Mekis. But the relationship with the club was over. And obviously, you don't want to see that happen here with Julian Araujo and the LA Galaxy. But when a big move like this falls apart at the last second, uh, it can be bad. Speaking of big moves at the last second, maybe not last second, but late. Let's talk about some MLS Liga Mekis business. LAFC sending Colombian forward Chicho Arango to Pachuca in Liga Mekis for a reported fee of about $6 million. LAFC apparently going to get a percentage of a future sell-on as well. Arango scored 30 regular season goals in one and a half seasons with LAFC winning an MLS Cup last year. The 27-year-old will be tasked with replacing Nico Ibanez at Pachuca who just made the move to Tigres. Lots of angles to discuss this from Herc, but let's begin with this. Is Pachuca an upgrade over LAFC? Well, for Chicharango it is. Let's be honest. The reality mm. is that Chicharango, even though he was a newcomer of the year for playing half a season, lighting up Major League Soccer, uh, 17 games, 14 goals in that half a season, mm -hmm. was never really treated as the man, the guy. They always looked for bigger and better. We kept hearing while Chicharango was there at LAFC how they kept looking for another striker. They were looking for something else. They were looking for that man. And Chicharango, to his credit, was still scoring goals and wanted more. He wanted to be that man, that DP striker. He was saying, hey, that guy you're looking for, it's me. I'm here. And they never gave him that opportunity. That opportunity not being the playing time, that opportunity being the DP contract. Mm -hmm. So now he's going to get that contract. Now he's going to go somewhere where they value him. So, yes, Pachuca is an upgrade for Chicho Arango. I think if we're talking about cities, if we're talking about spaces, if we're talking about mm -hmm. projection, those are two different things. But even on the field right now, you can make a case, you could argue that Pachuca is the better right. situation. You've lived in both cities. Tell me, tell me about Pachuca a little bit. How does it compare to Los Angeles there? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's up there. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? Listen, this is, this is a reality. If you're in Pachuca, you're going to be there with no distractions. That's what you mm -hmm. go for. It's, it's, a, it's a rich history, one of the oldest clubs in Mexico. Uh, and I don't want to talk down or talk ill of the city, but you can't compare it to Los Angeles. You can't compare it to a major city. But you also can't compare the facilities that Pachuca has, the football or the history, to most places. Yeah. There was a time when maybe I would think a guy at 27 years old, Colombian, might have a better pathway to the national team from Liga Mekis than MLS. But I don't think I believe that's true anymore. So it's, it's hard to really see it as too much of a footballing upgrade. They are both the defending champions. They are both in League's Cup. And they are both getting by. So maybe he could have a chance to get his... LAFC revenge in, in one of the many competitions between MLS and Liga Mekis. What about the LAFC angle, Herc? Will they come to regret this? They could very well. Um, listen, Pachuca's a team that exports and exports a lot. They're one of the better teams in, in Liga Mekis to do that. LAFC is a team that brings players in. Okay, uh, Right now, they don't have those players. They've lost players. They've got uh, Opoku, they've got Carlos Vela and Boanga. Those are the three Carta Fuertes. Those are the three main players, the, those, those pillars of that attack, if you will, in what will be three competitions in the next seven, eight months. You got MLS play, you're going to have CONCACAF Champions League, and you're going to have League's Cup. 
if you're telling me Carlos Vela, who, yes, is still Carlos Vela, but over the last two and a half seasons, three seasons, hasn't proven to be the healthiest Carlos, Carlos Vela, and Boanga, in what will be his first real season for LAFC, and an unproven Opoku, be your guys, I'm not sure I'm buying that. I think you need to bring somebody else. So if this is what you are expecting to work with and expecting it to be something that will be good in league, be good in CONCACAF Champions League and League's Cup, I'm not buying it. So yes, from an LAFC perspective, they got weaker. Yeah. Chicho gone, obviously Bale retired, Bale gone. The, the attacking depth, Herc, we shouldn't forget also, is exactly what got LAFC yeah. MLS Cup last year, that they could just keep throwing guy after guy on the pitch. And literally in MLS Cup, they can put Gareth Bale on late. He can get a goal that gets him to a penalty shootout. That attacking depth was the difference for LAFC. So I understand the concerns here from an LAFC standpoint. But at the end of the day, you can't deny it's pretty good business. Is they it? They bought this guy for two, three million dollars. They're it? they're they're selling him for six. They're getting a percentage of the sell-on. Is it? It wouldn't surprise. Yeah, you, it wouldn't be surprised you if he went to Pachuca, scored a bunch of goals, and got sold like an Ibanez to a Tigres or a Rayados or an America. They might make more money off this. They were willing to I sell him to a business. Saudi Arabian team. If they don't, don't value him enough to pay him a contract. They're getting that, something quite good for them. That's another. Well, then that begs the question if they want to win another title and what that title is worth. So you worth. would have given them the contract. What's a title worth to you? Is it worth more than $6 million? What I would say is they probably have bigger designs on, a, on that money, right? On what like you can what? do with that money. So, so they've, got the re they've got the summer transfer window to, to, to fix I'm, that. I am because nobody that's what to question John year. Thorrington and, and, and the business that LAFC does because they've proven okay. to do it very well. They won a championship, right? Mm -hmm. But if the ultimate goal is to win another championship, what's it worth to you? Hmm. Right? I think CONCACAF Champions League might be the ultimate why goal. Not Remember just how pay much they Chicho. talked about that like, last year? Think about best case scenario for whoever, whoever they bring in in that spot. It's to have Chicho-like numbers, Seb. So what's hmm. that worth to you? Yeah. A lot. We'll see how it uh, turns out for LAFC. See if they make any more signings to cover the Chicho departure. What about Pachuca in all this? Can Chicho replace Nico Ibanez and lead Pachuca back to a title or at least a final, right? That's the bar. So I got a very interesting phone call uh, a week ago from somebody in Mexico asking me about how Chicho Arango would fit into Pachuca. A ver, quién, quién? I cannot disclose. Nah, come on, nobody's watching here. Well, hey, too many people. Uh, nobody's too many watching. People. Just you Watch and, me. and listen, thanks to the, the uh, podcast. YouTube and the podcast crowd. Yep. Uh, what I will tell you is, when answering this question, I said, well, it depends. And they said, on what? And I said, well, who's the coach? Is the coach somebody new, or is it Guillermo Almada's system? Because there was a reason, and Nico Ibanez is a very talented rematador, finisher in the box. But he also gives you a little something off the ball. He is highly driven, he is highly competitive, and he works on both sides. He's not just your finisher. Chicho Arango, one of the things that got him in trouble early on with Cicerundolo was his work rate in said style. That could be something that I think would affect him. So when I asked this person, I said, who's the coach? He said, well, let's just assume it's Guillermo Almada. I said, you know what? If you put Chicho Arango in a position to score goals, he's going to score you goals. Right. He right. will be that goal scorer for you. But if you ask him to play how this Pachuca team plays, well, he's got to be highly bought in, highly motivated, and he's going to be highly effective on the other side of the ball. 
and he's not going to be that Nico Ibanez player. Can he fulfill the Nico Ibanez numbers? I don't know. That's yeah. a very high bar, very big shoes to fill, but he's going to score you goals. Look, he's going to be highly paid, so he better be highly motivated. I don't think he's going to reach those numbers. I don't think he's going to be the golden boot, but I think he's definitely going to do enough. I love Chicharango as a player. I think I also love Pachuca as a team. They're rolling outside the, the defeat against Tigres. I think that's kind of a weird result. We throw that out. That was the week of the Nico Ibanez transfer. I think yeah, Pachuca is yeah. going to be good. It's, it's a very, very nice setup. It's great for him. And, uh, and he'll I also be the only one. Well. Yeah, De La Rosa, who's, uh, I believe, 20, 21 years old, Mexican uh, forward. He's, he's the number two. He'll be the number two behind Chicho. So Chicho will get plenty of opportunities. Sure. Also came right in and did well with LAFC, right? What did you say, 14 goals in, in 2021? In 17 games. That's right. Half a season. Newcomer of the year in half of a season. So we expect him to hit the ground running there with Pachuca. Let's get to some more action from the transfer deadline. Lucas Cavallini, the Canadian international, joining Cholos on a free transfer. So the man who signed with MLS from Liga Mekis now going back to Liga Mekis, Herc. Yeah, well, he made a name for himself, really, for us anyways, in Puebla. Um, maybe he can duplicate that with Tijuana. The only problem is Tijuana is toothless, and ho hopefully he helps out with that. Until just 30 years old. All right, cool story here. Nathan Apoku of Syracuse University is signed with Leicester City of the Premier League. Going to be loaned out to a Belgian club still. NCAA to Premier League signing. Herc, don't see that every day. 11 goals, 8 assists for Syracuse. Also, 2022 USL League 2 A final MVP for wow. Ventura, Ventura County Fusion. Thanks to Nicholas Murray for that one. Good stuff there from Nathan Apoku and Syracuse. The Orange getting it done. Coming off a great season. All right, we got a loan. Matthew Hoppy going to Hibs, Hibernian, in the Scottish top flight on loan from Middlesbrough in the championship. Yeah, Hibs has got a quality social media. That uh, super bad little video was quality, was tops. But Matthew Hoppy, he's entering this like Sebastian Soto, Conrad de la Fuente ground, and it's not stable footing. Mm. Mm. And here's Herc's favorite goalie ever. He's going to get some playing time, Keylor Navas with a loan deal from Nottingham Forest in the Premier League in PSG. Venga, Mikaelur, the most disrespected footballer of his generation. 36 years old, winding back the clock. I see Levante years ahead of him for Forest. This man needs this. Get out of PSG. Get out of that disrespect behind Donnarumma. I just feel bad for Dean Henderson, but the rest is cool. Navas making the move from France to England at the age of 36. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... 
Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Our next guest is staying up late with us here on Football Americas, Mark Ogden. Avi, I don't know if you know where you live, but where are you joining us from right now? I'm just outside of Manchester in England, Sebi. So, um, yeah, it's pretty dark, it's pretty cold, and it's pretty late. <laughs> oh, look at Herc. Herc's not missing that at all. It's uh, his sunny weather out there in, in California. Well, it's right. perfect to have That's you right. back on the show, I should say. Back on the show, because we've had you on Football Americas. Uh, before, but it is the end of the transfer window. We want a lot to talk to you about. Uh, let's start with Christian Pulisic because when we were in Doha, we talked about it and it seemed like it was a move that was going to happen. Like everybody wanted to see Christian Pulisic leave Chelsea. Pulisic wanted it. Chelsea wanted it. Uh, it didn't happen. So why do you think it didn't happen? And then where does that leave Pulisic now with Chelsea? You know, I think it's a pretty basic reason he got injured and the injury wasn't just a, a short-term injury. It's, it's a bad one. It's a bad knee injury and he's out for months rather than weeks. So, you know, Chelsea knew that once that happened, there was nobody that was going to take him and, and risk not being able to play until maybe March, even April time. So, you know, if you're going to take Pulisic on loan, you need him to have an instant impact because he's the sort of player that you bring in to, you know, beef up your attack. And there's not been having a guy that, you're, you know, you're spending wages on to play for half of the season and he can't even play for half of that half of the season so Pulisic missed out on his move because of that I think you look at who Chelsea brought in a player every other day by the seeming by the way it's gone he was obviously going to be one of the players that they were going to move on you know Hakim Ziyech was 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 surplus of requirements and that move to PSG fell through Jorginho's gone so I'm pretty sure that Pulisic would have gone and gone quite early in the window we know that he was offered to Man United he was offered to Arsenal and to Newcastle I know there was a there was an interest from United because, as we've seen about Veghorst, they wanted to bring a player in on loan who would be no commitment beyond the end of the season. So Veghorst fits that bill and Pulisic could have been a different kind of player, but that's the sort of player that United would be looking at, a player that wouldn't have a long-term kind of commitment to the club. So what it means now is that obviously he gets to the end of the season and he's clearly going to go in the summer because Chelsea have mm. made so many signings, they have to bring some money in now, they have to start offloading players so they can balance the books. I mean, they're not going to balance the books. It's impossible. They spent three hundred fifty million pounds this window, but it means that they can get players off the off the squad. They've got thirty three players now in, in in the first team squad. The roster that that the manager has to deal with. So Christian Pulisic, he might not play again this season. He may play his last game for Chelsea because I don't mm. see where he plays with with Joao Felix and all the rest of the players he's signed. This could be the end for mm. Pulisic. It just could be a long drawn out farewell, really. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, you say it could be the end for Christian Pulisic. He's got to go in the summer. And you mentioned that he was offered to Manchester United and perhaps Arsenal as well. So what's the level of interest around the Premier League in Christian Pulisic when it would come to a summer move? Yeah, I, I think it changes in the summer. I, th I think in the winter window, I think clubs are more prepared to take a gamble on a, on a player that's a short-term fix. I think when the summer comes around... The clubs like Newcastle, Man United, Arsenal, they're going to be shopping at the top end of the market. You know, Man United want a top striker. Newcastle, if they get in the Champions League, will be looking at very high end. I think Pulisic then will struggle to get a move to those clubs because if they're looking to spend maybe under £150 million, they're going to be looking for players that are A-listers. You know, and with all due respect to Christian Pulisic, he's not an A-lister. He's not a player that will make a difference at that level. He is a good player that's having your squad. But as you've seen at Chelsea, 
a, a club of a similar stature, he's not been able to make a difference. So I guess if he's going to stay in the Premier League, he's going to be looking at a club that's knocking on the door, maybe a you know an Aston Villa, maybe maybe that level. And that, that isn't great, I suppose, for people who, who rate Pulisic. But I think that's where he's at. I don't think he's going to get a move to a, a top six Premier League club. Europe's slightly different. I think you look at La Liga, you look at you look at Germany, maybe Italy. I think he could find himself at a Champions League club in those countries because I think that the market obviously will be dominated by the Premier League clubs. So those clubs will be looking for the players that the Premier League clubs aren't interested in. So I do think he'll end up at a top club. I just don't think it'll be a top club in England because there's so much money in England now that they can buy whoever they want. And I don't think Christian Pulisic is in that league of players that they want to buy. Well, Christian Pulisic looking for a move. Weston McKinney got his move, a 15-point deduction for Juventus. Obviously, a great move for him to get out of that situation to a team that wanted him. But for Leeds, is this the right move for them? I think it's a great move for Leeds in the terms of the play they've got. I think McKinney will add to Leeds. Him and Tyler Adams will be a good fit in the midfield. I think, you know, they've done well. If you take away the the connections in terms of the USA connection and Jesse Marsh and the ownership at Leeds, I think he's a... Is a very good signing, but I think when you factor all that in, it gives Leeds a bit of a problem in the sense that it looks like they're only signing American players, and it looks like that Jesse Marsh only wants players that he's familiar with from the US or MLS, or you know they've appointed Chris Armas as a coach who was at Man United last season, didn't did have a great time at United. So if you're looking from the outside, it looks like Leeds are only focusing on players that have got a US connection, which is fine. But if Leeds get relegated, then the finger of blame will point to the recruitment policy, which only focuses on. American players. So it's a difficult situation for McKenney because he's a good player on his own. And I think I think he should be looked at in that context. But I think because he signed McKenney, this you know, Tyler Adams is there, Brendan Aronson and, and the American connection off the pitch. They're almost a hostage to fortune in a way. If Leeds go down, it'd be their fault. If they stay up, well, Leeds have stayed up because they stayed up. So it's a tricky one. But I think look, for McKenney, Juventus a very big club, but they've got problems. So it's a move to the Premier League. And I think it's, it's the best move he could have made. I, I spoke to him at Ellen Road when he signed earlier this week. And he actually said that he would have preferred a move to Germany. His first choice would have been back to Germany. Because obviously, he grew up in mm. Germany. But again, we talk about the money. It's the money in England. The money in the Premier League just blows everybody else out of the water. So he's got to move to Leeds. He'll play every week if he's fit. So it's a good platform for him. Agi, you've mentioned the American connection. The ownership is American. Jesse Marsh, he brings in three American players, an American coach to go with them. He's almost out of excuses, if you will. This is now his club. What kind of a pre what kind of pressure is Jesse Marsh under right now? I think he's not under as much pressure as he probably should be, considering why Leeds are on the table. And, you know, the one point of the relegation zone. And it, we're getting, I think it's virtually a year now since he came in and replaced Marcelo Bielsa. Look, he kept them up. Leeds were going down with Bielsa in charge. He kept them up, Jesse Marsh, but only just. And this season, it's been there's been a couple of highs, but a lot of lows. You know, they, they've won at Liverpool, they beat Chelsea, but I think Leeds still look like a team that they could do better. I think they, they need coaching better. So Jesse Marsh, for me, should be in the press. You look, you look at the managers around him. You look at people like Frank Lampard. They've lost their jobs because the bottom clubs tend to get rid of the managers when they're not performing well. But because Leeds have this way of they've got this idea now where they want to. You know, either sign players with a Red Bull connection or an American connection. And I think Jesse Marsh is central to that. I think the, the ownership model and the and the people in charge want that model and they see Jesse Marsh as key to that. So if Jesse Marsh doesn't work out, it almost means that the model doesn't work at Leeds. So I think that we'll, they will hmm. stick with him probably longer than most other managers would get. But the next five games are absolutely massive. They've got two, two league games against Man United next week, which guys in the States, you'll, you'll probably even know, it's a huge rivalry. It's, it's, it's a strange rivalry, but Leeds and Man United games are 
they are massive, especially for Leeds. So they're re two really big games. One at Old Trafford, one on the road. Then I think they've got they've got Southampton. I think they may have Everton as well. They've got they've got three of the teams around them. So the next five games are massive. If they come out of the next five games with maybe four or five points, they've got a problem. Leeds have to start winning games. But Jesse Marsh right now, I think he's okay because because he's backed by owners who see him as a crucial element of their of their blueprint, really. Let's go big picture with the owners, because obviously the owners at Leeds are American, and, and Jesse Marsh has had some success, as you mentioned, keeping them up, but, but the team really hasn't been playing all that, all that well this season. Yet you look at the expenditure here in the transfer window. I mean, we're the top spenders in the Premier League. I think they spent $40 million just in this window alone. It's not just Weston McKinney that they've gone out and sold. So just how much backing, how much faith do you think this ownership has in Jesse Marsh? Could he survive? Even something like a relegation, could you see him staying if Leeds were to be relegated? I think he'd find it difficult. I, I think he's probably got a bit too much backing from the owners, but he's not got a lot of backing from the fans. I think his, the backing mm. of the Leeds fans is tenuous. And I think there's been a couple of occasions where they've had heavy defeats recently where the fans have basically turned on Jesse Marsh and called him to go. So the Leeds fans are very vocal. And I think he's on a bit of a tightrope there. The, like I said, the, when, when the owners and the board back the manager, that, that's the main thing. But when the supporters turn, it affects everybody. So he has to keep getting, he has to start getting points. Or, you know, he's kept the heads above water right now, but I think he needs to start picking up more regular wins because, like I said, Leeds are a big club. But I, for me, I think that they're underperforming. And, and I think the squad of players he's got should do better. But equally, I think some of their recruitment has been a little bit basic in the sense that it only goes to mm. players the Red Bull connection or a US connection. They have to spread the net a bit wider. Real quick, Augie, bottom line, do you think Leeds stay up next up for them is Nottingham Force, another team that they're going to be battling to, to avoid relegation? Yeah, so I've, I've worked this out. I think Bournemouth and Southampton are two that are going to go. I, th I think they've had a bit of a rally both, but I think they're the two that go. And I think Everton were, were dead and buried until Sean Dice took over. I think Sean Dice will get something out of them, but they're still in trouble. I think Leeds, Leeds could be the third team to go down. You know, there's, there's three or four teams that there's... There's Leeds, there's there's Everton, there's a couple of others, and I would I would worry for them. But I think, like I said, Leeds have got this next five games are crucial. If they come out that next five games with more than half the points, they'll stay up. But I do think that it could go either way because I don't think Marsh is a Premier League manager. I, I just don't think he's he's that level. I think some of the players aren't good enough. But I do think McKenny will make them better. But I think this is going to go all, all the way to the wire for Leeds. All right, Ivy, let's go uh, back to Manchester, uh, Manchester City. Anthony Robinson, I don't know how much smoke or truth there is to that. How close was it to actually happening to City? Uh, and what do you make of it? Well, it wasn't close in this window. I, I spoke to somebody at City today just to get a check on this before I came on the show. And they said, look, they'd heard the rumours, but as far as they were concerned, the senior figures at the club are saying he wasn't on their list. But I was also told that, you know, anything can happen, which, and it can. Now, City need a left back. It's pretty obvious that, you know, Joe Cancelo went, he was a player that filled in at left back a lot and he did very well there. They let Zinchenko go last summer. Nathan Ake has been playing there this season. Nathan Ake is a centre-half. He's a centre-half playing at left back and he's done okay, but I don't think Nathan Ake is the sort of defender that's going to win you a Champions League at left back. So they do need a left back. And Anthony Robinson's had a good season at Fulham. He's had a better than a good season. So he's a talented player. But I do think that I think I'd be surprised if he goes to City, but because there aren't many top left backs around and that City need one, it's not the most outlandish prospect. But the, the likelihood of it happening, I think, right now is, is slim and it definitely wasn't a goer during the window. But if he keeps playing as he has done for Fulham this season, if he, if he ends the season like he's had the first half of the season, then of course, 
a lot of big clubs are going to look at Anthony Robinson because he's a talented player and, and left-sided players are at a premium. They always have been, but especially players that are performing well, you know, he's got a good chance of a big move. Um, you know, we love to focus on CONCACAF, so I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the weird move. Let's just say that. Keylor Navas going on loan to Nottingham Forest from PSG. Herc always says Keylor Navas the most disrespected, undervalued goalie in the in the history of the game. Uh, what's been the Player reaction the there? What, there you go. What's what's been the reaction there in England to the move? And is is Navas the player to to help keep Forest up? I, I think a lot of people are excited about Keylor Navas, and you know I'm always remember that he almost joined Man United. What was it six seven years ago now when the fax machine broke and David De Gea ended up staying at Man United because Navas was meant to be coming the other way. So we could have had Kayla Navas at Man United for the last six or seven years, and that would have been fantastic. And he wouldn't have won three European Cups or three Champions Leagues, but he'd have played for Man United in one of the worst periods of the history. But there you go. I think I think Nottingham Forest is a good move for him because he'll play. I think Dean Henderson has, has, has picked up an injury, and if Navas gets into the team, he's not going to lose his place, is he? He's going to play every week. So Navas at Forest. You know, Forest have won two European Cups, two Champions Leagues, and you know they're a club with a proud history, but they haven't won as many as Kayla Navas. So, listen, he is a great goalkeeper. He's, he has been underrated, and I remember from the World Cup in 2014, he was outstanding for Costa Rica, and I think you know he's earned the right to be regarded as one of the best around. You know, what a career Real Madrid, PSG, and now he's got a stint in the Premier League, so it's fantastic for him, and I think it's great for the Premier League. Mm. Nottingham Forest versus Leeds this weekend. All right, Caitlin Navas versus Leeds USA. We'll see about that. There he is, Mark Ogden, joining us here on Football Americas. Augie, as always, great to have you with us here on the show. Thanks for the time. Cheers, guys. Park, let's run it back. USMNT style. Malik Tillman, 20 years old, still scoring goals. His seventh of the season for Rangers here. Can't stop, won't stop. Now it is the Scottish Premier League. And I do love me some Rangers and Celtic, but I would love to see him at a higher level. The goal coming in Rangers, 3-0 victory over Hearts. You mentioned Celtic Rangers right now, nine points back of Celtic. Tillman still on loan from Bayern. To Ligue 1, following Balogun. Now, the French top flight's top scorer after a weekend hat-trick for Reims in a 4-2 win over Lorient. Hurt. Yeah, that number could increase uh, or that gap could widen because uh, Kylian Mbappe, injured, could be out for a while, and this man will not stop scoring. 14 goals in 20 appearances for Reims. Only Erling Holland and Harry Kane, have you heard of those guys, have more goals this season in Europe's top five leagues. Incredible. Well taken. Woo! The youngster out of the Arsenal Academy. We know he's eligible for England. We know he's eligible for Nigeria. And we know he's eligible for the U.S. men's national team. So, Herc, is cap tying Balogun in the March window the number one priority for the U.S.? If you can do it, absolutely. Listen, he's a very good player, and I don't agree with cap tying somebody just a cap time, but you need to recruit, you mm -hmm. need to convince. Mm -hmm. Now, there seems to be a narrative right now that there's no coach, no general manager, and no sporting director, right? And that's not the narrative. That's the truth, right? No. No, it's still there. Because you have a coach right now, an interim coach, who was part of Greg Berhalter. And you've always said one of the, thing that, one of the things that Greg Berhalter did very well was the recruitment of dual nationals. Mm -hmm. So Anthony Hudson could have been, and probably was, 
in part of those conversations and can continue those conversations. Ernie Stewart is still with U.S. soccer. He's mm -hmm. not left yet. So for everybody saying there is not there, that's not the case. He can still or maybe still be in communication with this player. And the most important part of this recruitment, Timothy Weah, Yunus Musa, walk mm -hmm. on down. It's the players who are in constant communication with the gun. So if you're telling me this is over, I don't believe it. But to the player, his credit, if he's as smart off the field as he looks on the field because mm -hmm. his finishing ability and his movement lead me to believe that he's got a very strong game IQ, you wait it out. You see yes. how this plays out. That is the worry. But if you're U.S. soccer and you can tie him down, lock him down, you go do that. So back in October, he said, I feel English. Take that for what it's worth. But he also said he would be making a decision soon, wanted to keep all his uh, options open. I'm looking at the options right now. The, the clearest pathway to playing time for him is the U.S., right? England's got Harry Kane. He's 29, so at least another World Cup. And surely there'll be another great English number nine. Maybe it's Marcus Rashford by the time Kane moves on. Victor Ossiman right now with Nigeria. You're not probably playing him oh, out of a spot. Let me ask you a question, Sebi. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. where you're going with this. Let me mm -hmm. ask you a question. Who's the number two? Who's the number two for England, number two for Nigeria? I don't know. There we go. And that's, that's the issue But that's right what now. I'm saying. Balogun would be the number one on this list, would he not? He would end. From, look, well, I know it's only 14 goals in well, 20 yeah, appearances. Chef. It's just this season. He would end the number yeah. nine debate, wouldn't he? Yes. I mean, chef. he's better than everything else in the U.S. pool. Right now, what we're seeing, that would lead us to believe. But would you rather be... How, how does this go? Would you rather be Cabeza de León or Cola de Ratón? Oh, how does it go? Cabeza de Ratón, Cola de León. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Would mm -hmm. you rather be a big fish in a small pond mm -hmm. or would you rather be one of those fish in the sea? Now, for him right now, mm -hmm. do you bet on your ability? And according to the statistics, he's the hottest U21 player of date. Nobody has scored more goals than him in the top five leagues at a U21 level. So it's what he feels his ceiling is at. I don't think it's that easy. Yep. Well, give him the option. Call him in in March. See if you can get him to play CONCACAF Nations League if that's attractive enough and get him into the U.S. pool. So Balogun for now in the French top flight. What about the German top flight? Which, of course, you can watch on ESPN Plus, the Bundesliga. Here's a look at the weekend slate. Starting bright and early on Saturday morning, you can catch Gio Reyna and Dortmund there early on Saturday morning as well. Big game against Freiburg. Wolfsburg, home of Kevin Paredes there against Bayern Munich. Sunday, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news! Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. John De Luisa, president of the Mexican Federation, and Miguel Arriola, president of Liga Mekis on the Football Picante Hot Seats. Last night on ESPN down in Mexico, after announcing their proposed plan for sweeping changes in Mexican soccer. This, of course, on the heels of Mexico's worst World Cup performance since the late 70s. This all revolves around six key points. It starts with eliminating the repechaje, so no more wild card into the playoffs. That'll take the postseason down to eight teams from 12. Next, a reduction in foreign players in Liga Mekis from eight, which it is now, down to seven per team. In the future, a return of promotion and relegation. That, of course, with an asterisk. We'll discuss that in a little bit. Also in the future, the end of multipropiedad, which is where one ownership group has multiple teams. Plenty of examples of that in Liga Mekis. We got a prize for the team with the most points over both seasons, the Apertura and the Clausura, so imagine a supporter shield. And last but not least, a renewed focus on exporting players to Europe. For more on this, thrilled to welcome into the show none other than Mauricio Pedrosa. Mao, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Happy New Year's and, and, Feliz Aniversario. Congratulations. Four years of Ahora Nunca working with Hercules Gomez. Yes. You deserve a medal. I, I had the under on those four years. I absolutely <laughs> had the under. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to be back. I don't know if you're allowed to say Happy New Year in February, but I'll <laughs> okay. take it, Seth. Coming okay. from you, I'll yeah. take it, my man. It's good, it's yeah. good to be back. There he had, he had the under, but Don Vegas, who always knows, he had the, uh, he had the over there. All right, so, uh, let's get to the six reforms, shall we call them, for, uh, L3 into the future and their potential impact. See if you're buying or selling them now. We'll start with the first one. Eliminate the repechaje. That would mean no more play-in games. Only the top eight make the postseason. Right now, 12 of 18 teams make the Liga MX postseason. Now, you buying or selling? Yeah, I am. I am buying. That that's actually a good measure. I mean, the problem is how how did we end up having 12 teams in the playoffs? Right. Mm. That that's the first question. But the fact that they're going to correct that at least has to be a positive. So I, I am buying. We have stated many, many, many times that allowing, allowing 12 teams to be in the playoffs, it, it only creates a mediocre system. And that's what Liga MX has been for the past two and a half years. So at least there's something positive there. Going back to having eight teams participating in the playoffs, I'm buying that. That's actually something good. Yeah, this is what you need to do, Seb. Uh, you want a more competitive league? We'll start out with getting the driftwood out of what is the big show. There's a reason they had the repechaje, which is the same thing they're gonna tell us about all these other mechanisms. There's a reason for it. There is no reason anymore. Uh, you saw that it was good for business because more teams were involved in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. That goes out the window. This is bad news for a few teams and one of the big teams in Chivas, but yes, eliminated. <laughs> yeah. I'm buying it because it's probably the, the easiest to implement, right? A lot of the things we're about to discuss are kind of yeah. pie in the skies, multi-step. This would seem pretty easy. We heard it from Jesus Gallardo, who talked about the relaxation, the relaxed atmosphere sometimes in Liga Mekis, which may have contributed to the national team struggles at the World Cup. At this last World Cup, you had 16 of the 26 players on the Mexican national team in Liga Mekis, so obviously it's a huge impact there. Uh, I'm buying this. I'm buying this for sure. A more competitive Mexican player is better for a more competitive Mexican national team. 
All right, next up on the list, a reduction in foreign players, guys, in Liga Mekis. Instead of allowing eight, now only seven would be the maximum allowed. Mao, are you buying or selling this as an important change for Mexican soccer? I am selling. That doesn't change anything. Mm. Though that, that number is the, uh, the number of foreign players you're allowed to have on the field. But are they going to also reduce the number of foreign players that you can have in your roster? Yes. They did not answer that question. Mm. And I think that's the biggest question. I've always said it's not about quantity. It's about quality. Why are you allowing not only so many foreign players to come and play in Liga Mexico, so many bad players that are actually being a factor why a lot of the youth System, the form system of some clubs are not having more players in the first division. I don't think this is uh, something that will have an impact on the quality of play, on the level of Mexican players. I think it's just talk, 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 but it means nothing. I am selling. Mm. Yeah, it's it's not only because you mentioned the quality, but it also is the quantity. If you go from eight to seven, you're only reducing one player that's allowed on the field. Now, what you said, quality, you're right, Mao. You look at the Premier League, you look at getting a work permit in the UK, not just any foreign player can go in and get a work permit. There has to be of a certain quality, a certain percentage of national team games, et cetera, et cetera. Why is this important? Because Mexican players don't have the same liberties as, I'll use the American for this example, to go out and be exported, to go and play abroad. So they depend on Liga MX for that development. Elsewhere, you could have a double passport, okay? Like you, maybe if you're in the States, you can play in a system like Major League Soccer that may be keen on exporting. USL that could export. We've even seen the college system export. There are so many different ways, so many different avenues for a player in the States to go abroad than there is for the Mexican player. The Mexican player depends solely on Liga MX. So this is very important. Interesting, right? When you talk about just how many players, uh, foreign players there are in Liga Mekis. It's been a talking point for a long time. Minimizing that number, maybe getting, make, getting more opportunities to get us safe for the, for the Mexican players. But this seems very, very minimal. And Mao, to your point, I was looking this up. Like, I picked the team out of the air. Maybe because I work with Hercules. I picked Puebla, right? Because we think of America and some of these other teams, Tigres, Rayados, as the big spenders. I looked at Puebla's roster. They had 13 international players. So to your point about it's not just the game day yeah. roster. It's the roster spots. Puebla, Puebla's out there. They got 12 or 13 don't, international don't players. Forget, Where are the Mexican guys going to find work? Don't forget Veracruz a few years ago had over 20 oh, international players. Yeah, exactly. And what happened to Veracruz? They don't exist anymore. So there you have it. In our hearts. All right. It's a lightning rod here in the United States. Uh, what about Mexico? Promotion relegation. They want to bring it back. Uh, as I mentioned, with an asterisk, you're going to need at least four teams to meet first division criteria before promotion relegation returns. Right now, there's only one. There could be more announced in May. So for now, it's a hypothetical. But now, buy or sell the return of promotion relegation as a fix for Mexican football. Oh, okay, I am buying the idea. This is a mm -hmm. huge one. I am selling this strategy. I don't know how they're going to do it. Because for many, many years, uh, Liga MX, the president, but also Federación Mexicana, the Mexican Soccer Federation, John de Luisa, they have told us repeatedly the level and the quality of the teams playing at La Liga de Expansión, which is the second tier uh, division in, 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 in Mexican professional soccer. Teams are not qualified 
to play in Liga MX in first division. So how is that going to change? As of right now, there's only one club that actually qualifies as being financially and in terms of sporting healthy enough to be a part of Liga MX. So the idea is great. Yes, of course we need promotion and relegation. Mm -hmm. But how are you going to achieve that if there is no clear path for those teams to be sustainable once they get their place, once they get their spot in Liga MX. So yeah, I'm buying the idea. I'm selling the strategy. I don't think they have one so far. Let's be honest. It isn't promotion and relegation. It's application and acceptance. It's what it is here because Mao is trying to tell you about how they need to be financially solvent. Okay, fair. But then you have certain requisites of your stadium needs to be a certain capacity. You have to fill these things out. Your ownership has to be a certain way. You can't just win your way up. And the relegation Herc, are those part. bad things? Are those bad things, Herc? Are those minimum requirements bad things? Well, hold on. Let the club uh, let the club decide if it's bad by how they do on the field. If you can be solvent enough to win your division and go up and stay up, you are solvent, right? Now, this is where it's not a real promotion relegation. We focus so much on the promotion. What about the relegation? Mm. Un consciente, a percentage over three years determines who goes down. That is only protecting the weaker clubs in how they do on the field, but they're strong in brand. That's what it's doing. Yeah. You're protecting but, the brand, but you're not really helping them out because they don't do well in the field. So it goes both ways, Seb. Let's not just sell it as promotion. Also sell it with the relegation. This percentage over three years, it's not good. Mm. Go ahead, Mal. The I mean, I'm going to agree that the percentage is not ideal. I don't think that's the worst part. Here's the worst part. Let's go back and look at the teams that were relegated. What happened in those stances? 75% of the teams were sold, which means that they were left to, the, to a new owner who, who was not financially healthy enough them. to bring that team back they to the They do parachute payments so in, in, in the Premier big... League in the championship. Help them. Exactly. And that's why I am keep saying the idea is good. The strategy, not so good. Yeah. I don't care how watered down it is, Herg. You know me. When it comes to promotion relegation, I am buying it. Bring that baby back. Uh, Mexico needs it. It'll spur investment, not just, I think, in, in Liga Mekis Expansión, the second division, which is more jobs, more opportunities for Mexican players, Mexican coaches. Obviously, you need that. But I think it's also going to spur more investment in the lower levels of Liga Mekis in that top flight, right? And I think you could probably use that as well when you talk about complacency. We mentioned it with Jesus Gallardo. Probably some complacency uh, in there with the owners as well. Let's talk ownership, right? Because Yon de Luisa and Mikel Arriola want to get rid of multipropiedad, right? You got one ownership group in charge of multiple teams. Plenty of examples of this right now in Liga Mekis, Pachuca, Santos, America, Cholos. Uh, Mao, how big a deal is this? Buy or sell? Oh my God, I've been going back and forth on this one, but I'm probably going to go rogue and say, I'm actually selling. I'd rather have mm -hmm. Grupo Orlegi owning two franchises, Grupo Pachuca owning two franchises and being actually good owners than to force them to sell the team Mm. And that team's probably going to go to someone with a lot of money, but not the expertise, not the know-how to make that team better. Probably the opposite. So, I don't... Th Again, it's not ideal to have one owner controlling two clubs in the same division. I know it sounds bad. Mm -hmm.
But for this case, Liga MX, I'd rather have those owners that are, have proven to be really good at what they do, owning two teams and probably having a new owner who has no idea. Now, we have the other side of the tortilla. There you go. Which is there you go. Gr Grupo Caliente that they have owned Tijuana for a long time. They were yeah. champs. Now has been one of the worst teams in Liga MX. And also they own Querétaro, which is about to disappear. So, again, that's why I was going back and forth in the end. I'm going to say sell. Just uh, because. By the idea of ending multipropiedad, because it opens up a can of worms. I mean, right now we've had no cases where there's been an instance like one team may get relegated and they face on the final match day the team that they own, and then you're like, whoa, there's a lot of suspicious activity going on here. That's one. You just leave yourself open for conspiracy theories or, or, or foul play, which is never good. Two, the other side of that coin, which Mauricio just mentioned. Yes, it'd be ideal to have good owners. Grupo Orlegi, good ownership. Grupo Pachuca, good ownership. But the other side of that coin is, what about when it's not a good ownership? And those teams have a say, those ownership groups have a say and a vote when it comes to league things and the national team. That's a controlling share. That is a vote. That could be dangerous. I'll buy this for Liga Mekis. I don't know. I don't know that I'm buying it for like a huge impact on the national team. But that's what I say there. Is it important? Yes, maybe for the league, but I don't know. You got Grupo Caliente in that committee for the national team. Yeah. You've got yeah. Grupo, you got Grupo, Grupo Orlegi. They're out. You got Grupo Orlegi in there as well, and Grupo Pachuca wanted nothing to do with it. So take your own conclusions. Okay. All right. So multipropiedad on the table. Uh, will it be on the table in the future in Liga Mekis? We will find out. There's going to be a new trophy, or at least a new prize, one that goes to the team with the most points over the Apertura and Clausura, regular seasons combined, so basically a supporter shield, also a cash prize. Mao, you buying or selling this? I am absolutely selling this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just wondering how they came up with this idea, right? So these are all top executives who make millions and millions of dollars in salary. I could just picture the meeting, right? At this luxury hotel, a lot of good meals, I mean, good, good drinks, good meals. And they're like, and someone, someone probably went like, you know what? Probably what we're doing wrong is we're not crowning a third champ. Why don't, why don't we get, why, why don't we don't have another champion in Liga MX? How do we do it? Yo, yo, just give another trophy to the team that makes the most points in, after 35 games, 34 games. Wow, what a great idea. That is exactly, that is exactly mm -hmm. what Mexican soccer needed. How did we not think of this before Qatar 2022? This is probably one of the worst ideas, unless your name is Santiago Solari. Because otherwise, <laughs> Santiago say. Solari would be a legend yeah. in so, Mexican soccer. America so, fans would love this. Think about this. Who is selling here? Well, Liga Mekis is selling. And, yeah. and what they're selling you is the idea of becoming Major League Soccer. When you listen to Mikel Arriola, when he goes on TV hey. and he talks about what is good and what is not, he brings up Major League Soccer a lot. He brings up the model of Major, they're trying to copy Major League Soccer and everything, and that's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. And this is a supporter shield. That is what they are trying to sell you. The idea of, because all it's gonna give you is un reconocimiento. It's gonna be like, here's the award. Here it is, a financial little premio. Oh, and also guess what? you could be placed a little higher come League's Cup. That's it! It's not an actual star on your chest. More of this, more of this. 
You think it would be like Supporter Shield in MLS, how we kind of disrespect that all the time? Isn't oh, there the president's, no. president's trophy yeah. presence cup and in the NHL that's bet, almost like a I'm curse for the team bet, with the most points? Yes, Mal. I'm willing to bet my other thumb that you're going to have <laughs> a huge sponsor for that trophy. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to put mm-hmm. my one remaining thumb on the line <laughs> that they're going to be a big sponsorship for that Santiago Solari trophy. Uh, Miguel Arriola has also mentioned it, it could be a ticket into the soon-to-be-named tournament between Conmebol and CONCACAF. So maybe, maybe there's uh, something else to go along with this, with this cash prize that you get for having the most points over the clausura and apertura. Next up, and last on the list of reformations for Mexican soccer, the renewed focus on exporting players to Europe, which would include partnerships with European clubs and leagues, and incentivizing Mexican clubs that sell. Mao, it sounds interesting. Are you buying it? Yeah. Uh, no, I am selling it. I have in my hands, I'm joking, of course, but the, the Constitution of the European Union. And okay. I cannot find the article in which you can become a European national or citizen mm-hmm. just because Mikel Arriola asked for it. It's not that simple. And I thought he was a lawyer. How are you going to do that? Are you really trying to tell us that you're going to go to every single parliament and ask, please, for Mexican nationals, could we reduce the number of years that is that that he would need, he or she need to live in that country to get that passport, reduce it from five to two, just because we want we want to have a better national team? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, good intention. This is th- th- this does not depend on Mikel Arreola or the clubs or the owners. This is actually a legislative issue that is not going to be that easy to achieve. But hey, I mean, I mean, you 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 miss the shots you don't take, right? So why not? Wayne, yeah, shoot Wayne, shoot. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Um, you're absolutely right exactly. here. And let me give a little more context here to what Mal was talking about. Miguel Arriola goes on national, international TV and he starts saying, you know, South Americans, if they spend two years in the parliament, they spend two years in Europe, they have an agreement where they can get a UE passport or comunitario. He wants to change these laws. Then he goes in the same breath and says, we need to minimize the way we have the secondary market. We need to ask owners to accept less on the back end, allow these players to go. But he won't tell you how or that they've said yes to said idea. He throws out these vague little explanations and just saying, we hope to export more to Mao's point. It just doesn't happen that way. You guys are selling this, but we're buying it as the most important thing that, that can be done, right? If, if it was actually Game done, Game yeah. we, we, we would say buying. The reason I can't buy is because I'm looking around and I see what happened. We saw Cesar Montes go to Espanol. That, that seemed to be a struggle to get that deal done. We see Tigres buying Diego Lainez, bringing him back, right? So taking a player out of the European pool. We see America, I don't know what they're doing, trying to maybe buy or bring in Kevin Alvarez, remember, to sit Lara on the bench, a young yep. Mexican player. Uh, we got Cruz Azul not selling Antuna to Greece when the offer seemed yep. to be there. So we have all these clubs who are supposedly a- a- on board to help with the exportation of Mexican players. I just named the big boys, yep. and they're the ones holding yep. them back, Mal. They're the ones <laughs> you know holding how them to back. Do it? You- you know how you do it? You put a cap on how uh, on the fee transfer fee for Mexican players within Mexican clubs. Yeah. If you're able to put a cap on that, then you're helping. Then you're telling Tigres, hey, or Rayados, you won't be able to pay $10 million for a player like Rodolfo Pizarro. 
cap five mil. Maybe there's an offer from a for European club that is six mil. And then Pachuca or Chivas probably go, okay, I'm not saying Rayados because the most that they can pay is five mil. I can get six mil from another club in Italy. I'll send Rodolfo Pizarro to Italy. So if you do that, if that's a plan, I'm buying. But they're not gonna get they're not gonna go against their own wallets. That's what it the, is. End game yeah. around here. And just to put things in perspective, the one player that actually went abroad, Cesar Montes, Mao, is that not the highest transfer in Liga in La Liga so far this window? You know what? I think you're right. Yeah, I didn't have to spend much. I, I did not, not have that to the research, but, but I think yeah. you're right. I think yeah. you're right. It goes yeah. to show you, even yeah, when they right. go, even when they went, it's still not going at Market Valley. All right, let's move on. Because there was even more news that came out of the Yon de Luisa Miquel Arriola media tour, right? Let's, uh, let's call it that. And it has to do with the next head coach. Apparently, there's not going to be an interim. We should know the coach in the next week. So, Mal, let's make it quick. Who do you think it's going to end up being? So the fact that they already interviewed Guillermo Almada and Miguel Herrera and we don't have an announcement yet, leads me to believe that the leader in the clubhouse is Marcelo Bielsa. And mm. that they are right now having negotiations with Marcelo Bielsa because what else? What else do you need to hear from, from those two Mexican managers or in Almada's case, Uruguay, but working in Mexico? What else do you have to hear? Why haven't you announced it yet? That leads me to believe that they're talking to Marcelo Bielsa and he might be the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, that would be very surprising for me because of all the change it would imply. Marcelo Bielsa doesn't come if you don't give him the keys to this car and let him drive it the way he sees fit. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, which leads me to believe that because Jesus Martinez is no longer in that committee and mm. Almada is one of his guys, it will most likely be Miguel Herrera. All right. El Piojo 2.0. Mauricio Pedrosa, thanks so much for the time here on Football America's continued success with Ahora Nunca. Gracias, amigos. One more bit of transfer news here, kind of an odd one. Celaya of Liga Mekis Expansión, the second division, sending Diego Gonzalez, a 20-year-old Paraguayan, to Lazio of Serie A. Who knew? They're calling it the USL of Mexico. <laughs> well, they weren't the only team. Besiktas was uh, looking at them. There was another team in Europe. And apparently also Pumas. Rafa Puente del Rio was one of the people, organizations, say Pumas, looking at this guy. Leads me to ask, why weren't there more Liga Mekis teams involved or in the yeah, picture? You, you wanted more players exported, there you go. Busy weekend on ESPN Plus, including a Real Madrid-Barcelona doubleheader on Sunday. Of course, ESPN Plus, your exclusive home for La Liga in the United States. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Club World Cup, Al-Ahli and Auckland playing for the right to face off against the Seattle Sounders. Stoppage time of the first half. Hussein El Shalat. 1-0. Oh, see! A little bit of traffic for the goalkeeper. Should have been able to handle it well. Did not. 56th minute. Mohamed Sharif. Scores to make it 2-0 for the Egyptian side. Good old Mo Sharif, the goal scorer. He does it again, his first of the tournament. Al-Ali rolling at that point, past the side from New Zealand, 86 minutes. Percy Muti, 3-0. Yeah, it, it was all over. I mean, after the first one, that was pretty much a wrap. A little bit of showboating, a little heel pass. And the goal. Oh, no. 3 nothing and some drama late. In fact, drama that we got to listen in on. VAR, talk to me. All right. FIFA's new effort at better communication on display there as Al-Ahli wins 3-0 over Auckland. There we get the odds, what the bookmakers are saying about the showdown between Al-Ahli and Seattle. For more on this, let's look back on our conversation with Christian Roldan from MLS Media Day talking FIFA Club World Cup. Yeah, I think it's important for us to go out there and, and have a good performance, have a good Club World Cup, because we're only going to get judged by by either that single game or those three games that we play. Uh, people won't talk about you know, having four weeks to prepare for it because that's the reality of things. People will just look at the result and be like, oh, MLS is good, MLS is bad. And so people will form their opinions and I think it's, it's important for us to uh, be well prepared, physically well prepared so that we can go out there and have a good tournament so that you know, we're rep at the end of the day we're representing MLS. And I think that's, that's really cool, and, and being able to do so is, is such, an, such a huge honor. A huge honor, Herc, but is it a huge fracaso, failure, if Seattle can't get past Al-Ahli over the weekend? Well, no, given the context and circumstances of it. I know you're ready to jump on this, but... What do you mean? Sounders TV! You don't, you don't think they're going to win? Is, well... It's not that I don't think they're going to win. You asked, would it be a fracaso if they lose? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You saw the odds right there. They're actually not favored to win. Mm. That would be their rival, right? If, no, if no. Look, Show us the odds again. Pull up the odds again. They're favorites. They're favorites. The bookies know what's up. Not on the ones that I saw. So what I'm getting at right here is you're asking Seattle Sounders who are in preseason right now. Okay? Mm -hmm. Those are weird odds. You're oh, asking, but Seattle's not, not as big a payout as Al-Ali. They're the favorite. Uh, I, no, that's, 
I don't know where they got this one, but I just literally saw one where they weren't the favorites. So it okay. doesn't matter. Let Herx me, let me guy is giving him Seattle as a dog. Okay, Herx guy, Herx guy, got it. He is from Vegas. Right, right. So, the Seattle Sounders right now who are in a preseason. Ah, there it is. actual season. Mm -hmm. Are going to play against a team that has experience mm -hmm. in this tournament. So much experience that they've actually placed three times in their history. Mm -hmm. They've placed the last two editions. Mm -hmm. 2020, they defeated Palmeiras in the third place game. In the third place game, they defeated Palmeiras, that Brazilian team. Mm -hmm. Crowned third place winners. In 2021, in the first game of that tournament, do you know who mm -hmm. they beat? Monterrey. Who did they beat? Tell me. Tell they me. beat Monterrey, Rayados de Monterrey. This is a team that's already placed three times two mm -hmm. in the last two editions. Mm -hmm. They're easily the best team in their continent with history. And it's hilarious to me how you're mm -hmm. going about this in an arrogant way, thinking oh, the Seattle Sounders yes. should stomp this team because they're from Africa, because they're not a big team. I didn't say they should stomp them because they're from Africa. I think they should win because they're the CONCACAF champions. And because I believe so in our Conca region, Calf is I'm over. not like you here, sacando el paraguas, sacando... I know it rains sticker. a lot in Seattle. Can I get a sticker of that, Rafa? I know, I know it rains a lot in Seattle, but here's Hercules Gomez. As you know, in the, we say in Spanish, you take out the paraguas, you take what, out the umbrella, because it's going to rain, you, you want to lower expectations. So, so you're telling everybody in Seattle they're going to lose. Who's you're never been Seattle in this competition. Ah, oh, come a on. A major league soccer team who's never come been in this competition on. should already be better Hey, than a team who in the last two editions placed. Yeah. What, explain the arrogance to me, please. You, you mentioned Rayados who lost to Alali, right? What happened to Vasco Aguirre after, after he lost? Rayados has placed before. Rayados has won the Concacaf Champions League before. It was before. a fracaso. It was a fracaso. Seth, are you seriously that arrogant in your take that a team, just because they're from Concacaf, should beat this please, team? Please, they're fresh. They're ready to go. It's historic. They, this is this is the this is this is Herc. Your words. This is the <laughs> franchise to represent MLS. This is the banner franchise. You tell me they're, they're gonna not go in the season, the Seb. Okay, so the Sounders are just happy to be there then. Seb, Seb. In no fact, expectations to win. In, First in time fact, they're just happy to be there for you. That's when okay? they beat Monterrey, the majority of their players wow. for that for their team wow. were in the African Cup of Nations with Egypt. This is no slouch, Seb. Mm -hmm. They can beat them. Sure, it can happen. But if they lose, it's not a fracaso. The Seattle Sounders aren't fracaso. even in season right now. It's How a fracaso. How arrogant is your take? Just like me in this umbrella. This is typical arrogance from your part. Okay. All right, let's move on to the U.S. women's national team. They got the She Believes Cup, Hercules Gomez, coming up. Of let's get ready for more arrogance. Of February. Uh, Vlatko Anonofsky calling in 23 players. Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Becky Saubert among them. Still no Sophia Smith. Continuing her recovery from that foot injury. Tierna Davidson back in camp but won't play games against Brazil, Japan, and Canada starting February 16th. Here's Vladko Andonovsky who is facing mounting injury issues ahead of the World Cup. I'll start with uh, Sof and Ked. Uh, Both of them are uh, in return to uh, play protocol. Sof actually is uh, looking good. She's uh, back on the field running. And uh, I think that... Uh, if uh, if we rushed it a little bit, we could have got some minutes from her, but uh, I didn't feel like this was a situation where uh, we rushed to get her back. Uh, our goal is not just to get her back, but to stay back. Kat on the other side, she started training on the field, started training with uh, with the ball. She's uh, she's still in uh, Qatar uh, in the 
uh, in the center, FIFA center for uh, for rehab, and then uh, hopefully we can see her uh, starting playing for her club team uh, sometimes uh, in the second half of March. It takes about five to six weeks in the team training uh, before she starts playing game. So we uh, expect to see her back uh, or uh, eligible for selection for uh, April camp. Uh, that goes uh, same for uh, for Sof and a couple other players as well, uh, like uh, um, Kelly O'Hara and uh, Kristen Tobin. They're all uh, in the return to play protocol. All right, Herc, so some good news and some bad news there. We do finally kind of know what's going to happen with Julie Ertz and Sam Ewis. Looks like they're both going to miss the World Cup. But of the players that Vladko Andonovsky mentioned there, who are injured and may well be available by the time the World Cup rolls around, who do you think the U.S. team needs most? Optimal level, it's Katarina. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind it's Katarina. When you look at the type of player she is, she has the ability to play as a nine, play as a ten, play in a nine and a half. She's creative. She can finish off the play. She can start off the play for you. The, the U.S. women's national team at one or another level in that nine position or in those winger position has, excuse the, the, the term, a, pokey, a Pokemon version player multiple times over. Right. They don't have that creative player like Katarina. They don't have that player who can create something out of nothing. They lack that final third quality when it comes to having the ball at their feet. They have players who are very good in open space. They have players who are very vertical, very dangerous, can put the ball in the back of the net. But that quality, no, not like her. Yeah. You need Sophia Smith. I think you need them both, but I think you need Sophia Smith. We saw that from all that she brought to the table last year. But to your point, Herc, there's way more depth at the position that Sophia Smith plays. You, you have somebody like Mallory Swanson now, Mallory yep. Pugh that can produce at that position. We've seen Trinity Rodman step up her game there. Lynn Williams is coming back, Midge Purse. You do have a lot of options there. I don't think any of them are as good right now as Sophia Smith. There's a reason she was U.S. Soccer's Female Player of the Year. But Katarina Macario, when we look at the issues that this U.S. team has, might be, might be the key to unlock it yeah. all, right? I don't know exactly where she fits. That's a question for Vladko Andonovsky. I don't know if she's necessarily one of those wide players. I don't think she's replacing Alex Morgan. I don't know who you would pull out of that midfield if indeed you were to do that. But I think she's the player that you see and you say, okay, if she's she different. could get in and be healthy, yeah. she's something different they don't have. The one thing I found very interesting was the fact that Vladko Andonovsky mentioned both Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. Those are two players who I thought had kind of, their national team window had closed. But the fact that he mentioned them, and we saw the April window as well, might just open the door to a couple players who have won a lot of experience, but are also Hercules Gomez, uh, as we know, fan favorites. Time for a few more segments here on Football Americas. One of our favorites. Get lost. Get lost. Herc, according to Forbes, LAFC are the most valuable team in all of Major League Soccer and the league's first $1 billion franchise. A $1 billion valuation for LAFC. Herc, get lost? Or do you think there's some truth to this? Uh, I mean, it, it's get lost in the sense, like, uh, uh, of really? You're oh, not paying a billion dollars no, for it. Not but, Hercules Gomez hard-earned money. No, but... The owner, the owner of the Las Vegas Aces, who was talking about yep. putting up his hard-earned money 
And why not in a Major League Soccer franchise? And he went to the Premier League. Do you remember what he said? Is that Bill Foley who bought Bill ended Foley. Up buying into Thank Bournemouth? You. Yes. Bill yeah. Foley. Bill Foley said if I wanted to buy into Major League Soccer, it would cost a billion dollars. He said yep. one billion dollars. Mm -hmm. He put that number out there. And then you start thinking about why LAFC would be a billion dollar because this franchise at one point was like I believe seven million dollars when it was Chivas USA. And then Major League Soccer bought it from the Vergara family for $70 million. And then they turned it over for, I believe, $100 million. And now it's worth what it is today. Yeah. It, we see this in American football. Stan Kroenke taking the Rams from St. Louis to Los Angeles. It, it's real estate. And we see what that real estate costs in a city right. like Los Angeles, in a state like California. And then when you add not only the land, but the stadium, and then the assets that they have, Within that stadium, within that team, the players, I could see the evaluation, evaluation. Right. But it's also like one of these things like, why are these startup companies that are, have evaluations in the billions, why don't they have any money? Why are they broke? You know, why don't right. they have any liquid? <laughs> it's the same type of thing. Yeah. Theoretically, sure. Sure. But I don't think anybody's paying them a billion right now for it. Betting against real estate in a city like Los Angeles would be a stupid thing to do, right? You, you figure that if you invest a billion dollars in L.A. real estate today, surely it will continue to grow. And if you look at the teams that are at the top, it's LAFC, L.A. Galaxy, New York City. They don't even have a stadium. Just right. the fact that they're in New York, the potential of a stadium, I guess. D.C. United, which has one of the worst stadiums for me of the new lot, is in there at fifth at $700 million. Um, that's crazy. You mentioned the Bournemouth example, Bill Foley, right? Reportedly paid between $150, $200 million. A Premier League team, the one that gets the smallest piece of that, of that television pie, gets close to 100 million euros a year, Her, We know what MLS is making on their TV. $250 million a year, when we know half of that at least is production costs, and then you've got to divide it between 29 teams. We're talking about a few million bucks. How is it worth a billion dollars? I just don't understand. I don't understand how you're ever going to make your money back, right? I can see the real estate value going up forever and ever and ever and ever, but how are you going to make your money back? I don't know, until you sell it, right? Until you sell it. That's when it's, it's like a boat. You're the two best days of your life, buying it and selling it. Quickly, parting shot here on Football Americas. Speaking of shots, now this is going to be parting shots from the golf course. Gareth Bale, Herc. Uh, what is this? So, Wales, Galaxy, Golf has become Golf, Golf, Golf at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and looking pretty good. Leave Gareth Bell alone! Look, what do you guys want from him? The guy's retired. He's retired. Look, this is like Producer Beto. That's where about what he plays. Nah, Producer Beto's a golfer. Don't lie. That's where you play. If they even let you on the course. You misunderstood. That's how he plays it in, I said. Ah, okay, okay. See, Producer Beto, what I know of his golf game, he would never end up on the cart path. Okay? No, he will end up there. That's where the beer is. Ah, the path, steady, little cart passes steady, through steady. All right, uh, coming up on Monday's show, this time we mean it, our one-on-one -on -one with Gaga Sonino. <laughs> we spoke to him from January camp uh, and plenty more as we are sure to be covering a weekend full of action uh, both in North America and Europe. He's Hercules That's bad Gomez. Luck. Don't do it, Seb. That's bad I'm luck. I'm Sebi Salazar. And we're taking out the umbrellas because we don't we want to keep expectations Please, in Seattle somebody low. Somebody send me a sticker. Hercules doesn't believe in the Sounders. What happened to Sounders how, TV? How, how DC United doing their no club? No faith. Up? No faith in your club.